Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. As always, we will thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and we will jump into another another podcast here that we're ever so fortunate enough to do, Bud. So uh, I know we've got, uh, we're able to, the first time in a long time, be able to fall back on uh, your services of uh, being the recruiting expert that you are, but you were actually able to go and uh, witness a lot of these kids or a decent amount of uh, kids with Florida State's interest in person for, I think, uh, almost a year now it's been. So uh, we'll kind of lean on that, but we've got a lot of things to jump into, try to make this a kind of a short uh, but entertaining show for our listener base. And with that, uh, we'll get going, bud. Yeah, so, uh, but I, I do want to start with uh, one person uh, who I did not get to see this weekend, uh, but who got to see Tallahassee, and, and that is four-star quarterback uh, Nico Martial, who took a visit to Florida State over the weekend, was posting about it on his social media, uh, and I believe also spoke with Knowles 24-7, and basically, I think everybody, uh, about that. Looks like Florida State could be picking up their quarterback this weekend, dude, for the 2022 class. I'm all for it, as long as he's not the quarterback, but I mean, I, I would... Uh... I would think that we would be potentially looking at two or Florida State would be looking at two here. Um, and if that's the case, then I think this is a great pickup. Uh, if he is the loan signing, then I might have a little bit of concern, just uh, both based off tape. I'm not trying to be hypercritical of the kid. Uh, and also there's a certain, you know, you you roll the dice when you, you roll dice when you recruit any kid. But you, I do believe you roll the dice in a little bit more of a, a noticeable manner when you go for a West Coast quarterback. Uh, and uh, he's now Arizona prospect currently. Sounds like he grew up in Colorado. Uh, but there's certainly some different cultures there. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll see. If he's one of two, I'm all behind it. If he's one of one, eh, I might be slightly skeptical as to the if we're going to go ahead and commit ourselves this early to that being the quarterback for the class. Yeah. So I, I understand the concern. I, I do want to start with, with the positives first. <laughs> yeah. It's probably not fair for me to immediately uh, jump into a kid and say that uh, I have all these concerns. So yeah, yeah he's a, he's a legit, you know, high three, four star prospect. Uh, and with that, I'll, I'll let you jump into a greater evaluation of him. And I haven't seen him in person, you know, throw. So I, I it's hard. I, I don't really like judging kids based solely on their film, but we had to do that a lot this year because there weren't a lot of camps and combines and even fewer that, that we were allowed to attend. That's kind of what you have to do. That's what this Florida state staff has had to do. I, I don't know if FSU has actually seen him throw in person. Maybe they have at one point, like perhaps Dillingham has maybe pre pandemic. It was obviously a long time ago for a guy who was just finishing up his junior year of high school. So what, what do you see when, when you watch, when you watch Nico's highlights, uh, you see a guy that has a pretty quick release, seems to hit dudes in stride, seems to know where where to go with the ball. I, I don't have his full game tape huddles. Florida State would. And I do think that Mike Norvell is probably a pretty good evaluator of quarterbacks. Now, I say probably because most of his success with quarterbacks has come via transfers, right? He's not actually had much success with the high school ranks for whatever reason. And we actually chronicled this on a show probably in like February of last year, uh, talking about who they signed at, at quarterback. And I think we ultimately concluded, correct me if I'm wrong here, that most of the reason why his high school quarterbacks didn't work out for him is, is because he already had transfers that were successful in that role. Right. And so they were, they were kind of blocked, which will probably be the case this year with, with McKenzie coming in for the 2021 season. Uh, but I, I see a guy who's accurate. I think the arm is is solid. It, it's not an arm that like totally blows me away. He does get rid of the ball quickly, and, and he's an accurate passer. Just based on watching him and you know seeing him, like photos, it, it wouldn't shock me if he's somebody who has more of a, a college ceiling than a pro ceiling, but, but that's fine. You're, you're not a, a program that's recruiting for a national title right now. I, I don't think anybody realistically thinks FSU is going to be back to national title type prominence in the next three, four years. Uh, certainly not anybody who listens to this show because we, we've said repeatedly, you know, when you fire your coach after only two years in the early signing period era, you're committing to a long-term rebuild. I'm fine with the take. Um, 
I know Florida was one of his finalists, Arizona State, Rutgers. So a, a decent list. I think there's some legitimate questions on whether Florida would take him right now. I don't know that he is a take for Florida. I know he's one of Florida State's top targets. Um, so let's address maybe some of the some of the questions you, you would have here because I, I think that some of them are are probably shared by our listenership. When you say there's worry about taking a kid from the West Coast, are you coming at from the standpoint of, hey, Florida State's probably going to struggle to make a bowl game this year, even with you know with McKenzie and those guys, right? They their schedule is brutal. And they could be a couple games better and still not make a bowl game. Are you coming from like the standpoint of you might lose him if you have the season you expect to have because you don't have those local ties? Yeah, honestly, I was probably being presumptuous and, and going ahead and assuming that he would sign as my concerns. I just think there's a little bit of a, you know, you get a roster full of kids from the deep south in Florida and pairing them with a West Coast quarterback. Sometimes it's brilliant. Sometimes it's not. I agree with you, by the way. You, you know, you do point out and you bring a you bring a decent dose of reality. I mean, this is a I don't want to be hyper critical of a kid in general, but I also need to have the filter of as to kind of where Florida State is uh, in the college football world. And this is a kid that you I think you can feel fairly confident. Um, you know, I don't know the exact degree of the relationship with Dillingham. I know uh, there's something there uh, that has transpired, but he was in like, like we said, he was in Colorado, moved to Arizona. Um, so there does seem to be a significant legitimate relationship. And the kid, you know, is very uh, effusive in his praise of Dillingham on social media and has been so for six or eight months now. So I think if you get this kid to commit again, maybe I'm making assumptions, but I, I would be surprised if you don't go through the process with him. Does it limit you on, you know, maybe the kid from Collins Hill or the, um, I don't, I doubt, you know, there's a couple kids in Atlanta that you're going after. There's a quarterback of Valdosta. Um, it, it'd just be interesting to see if they could put two classes together or two quarterbacks in this class. Um, but I think if you get this kid to commit, assuming, you know, you don't have a three win season, I would expect him to go through the whole process with you. I, I think that's fair. I think the cultural thing is also a question for sure. Right. We, we, we've seen that where you, you get guys from out West and it's just a different type of, of locker room fit. And that's something that Coach Norvell and his staff have to evaluate. But ultimately, I, I do think that they're going to be very happy to get his commitment, you know, if and when it goes down on Saturday. Now, to your second question you had, I, I, uh, it's weird, maybe in the positive one, you'd be in the negative one on the show, but, but it's, it's, uh, I, I, I kind of like this. I'm going to be positive, bud. You said, you know, you'd, you'd be very happy if he's one of the two you take. Are you phrasing that in like, he, if he's like the one B to the one A you take, or you're just saying like, like you want to do like the law of large numbers and, and, and take more? Cause I don't think they're going to get a better quarterback than him in this class, given the season they're going to have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and again, and, and that's what I need to, you know, put through the, the filter, like I said, as to where Florida State is. Um, I would just be hesitant about putting, uh, you know, all of your quarterback eggs in, in one class on a kid that I would have a slightly higher likelihood of transferring uh, just because of where he's from and some of the other issues that we've talked about. So, And I think you have to assume, by the way, that more than 50% of your blue chip quarterbacks you sign will transfer because that's just nationwide. And it's going to be far higher if you're not a program that's winning a whole lot. So that's just kind of what I see going down right now across the nation. And, and again, we, you know, we need to keep in mind that Purdy and Rotomaker both had basically a free year. So from a standpoint as to watching kids move through the roster, you don't necessarily have the separation that you would in a traditional setting. Uh, so if he's your quarterback, it's a nice get. I won't necessarily pump sunshine over it. That'd be pretty good. I, I think it'd be a good get for their class. And They'll continue to recruit some other quarterbacks, obviously, but I don't know. Just personally, I, I don't see them landing two top quarterbacks given what's pro- like what the season they just had and what's probably going to happen this year. So with that, uh, awesome. We're, we're, off, <laughs> we're off to a really off to a really positive start tonight. Uh, but I, I look, man, those are fair questions, right? You, you take a kid from out west, you you're excited to get him. He's a good quarterback. He's a good prospect. He's a promising guy. Uh, I mean, currently rated in the top 220 nationally on, on 24-7 sports. I know it's really early, obviously, but 
at the same time, it's fair to acknowledge the issues of going out West to get a kid. We've seen kids come from out West that are bad cultural fits in the locker room. In fact, I think almost all of the quarterbacks that Florida State has had from out West uh, in what the last 30 years have, have been major busts. Yeah, I was going to say, you could go all the way back to Jared Jones. I would Jared say. Jones, I think Rick's had cultural issues in the locker room, you know, like meshing with, with those guys. Who else from out there? Uh, oh, Malik Henry. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. given Malik's problems, like I think anybody with those problems, I don't, I don't care if you're from California, Florida, the surface of the moon. Yeah, that, that was going to be a problem regardless what, once the full extent of that was revealed. So uh, let's go ahead and get into some other prospects. Uh, most of these guys are going to be offensive players. And in the last episode or two episodes ago, we went over what we thought Florida State's needs were on the offensive side of the ball. I was able to get out to the Orlando Pylon event. Uh, readers of Knowles247.com and the 247 Sports Network were able to see uh, what I wrote. And I believe the article is now free, too. If you, if you want to go check that out, it's uh, discussing the top performers at the Pylon seven-on-seven camp, or tournament, rather. Saturday, which is the day that I was there the most, uh, it uh, it rained like crazy. So, And then it was kind of misty the rest of the whole day, and it was 45, 50 degrees in Orlando, which was terrible. But uh, still, you know, we, we soldier on, and we got to see some, some interesting dudes. One guy that I know a lot of Florida State fans have been very interested in is a receiver out of Orlando named Jaden Gibson. Uh, he's listed at 6'6". I don't think he's actually 6'6". I think he's probably more like 6'5". Dude is uh, very skinny, but had you know, pretty good body control. He didn't have that kind of awkward Greg Carr uh, nist to him. And, and I know Florida State does like him quite a bit. They, they, I'm sure they'd like to see him in camp, but at the same time, you know, if he called them up right now and wanted to commit, I, I think I, I have to imagine they would take him. So I, I thought he looked pretty solid. Uh, sticking with, uh, with, with Florida State targets. They've not offered this guy yet, but I have a strong feeling an offer will be coming. Out of Tallahassee, Lincoln, this guy's name is Raylan Wilson. He's a 23. If you, this part of the show is going to be for hardcore recruitniks, obviously, but Raylan Wilson, six foot two, 201. He's a sophomore. So he's going into his junior year. His, uh, his father, uh, who you know, tragically just passed away recently, our, our condolences go out to him. Um, Played for uh, for Fam and played for the New Orleans Saints, and his brother uh, is actually a receiver for the University of Buffalo, a team which had a great year this past season. Anyway, uh, I pulled up his film; it's really good, and he's legitimate size and length. And he also made a couple of interceptions for me in the seven on games that I watched him. And yeah, like guys who are that big who can cover, uh, that's a pretty good profile to have. So. A nice, uh, nice receiver, excuse me, a nice linebacker there in your backyard for the 23 class. Sticking with the defensive side of the ball real quick before I bounce back to a bunch of offensive guys. Javante McClendon is an interesting prospect. He's a guy that a lot of us thought was going to go to Florida back when, when the Gators had uh, coach Torian Gray there, uh, as, as defensive best coach. Gray was let go by Florida. He's obviously a dynamite recruiter in Polk County. Uh, and is now at South Carolina. Uh, but in looking at McClendon, I, I actually see a player who I think fits more of the kind of modern linebacker role where you just you have to be able to cover, right? If you can't cover, I mean, we, we know passing is better than running. It's more efficient. You, you gain more yards, and, and there's not that many turnovers anymore passing-wise. So pass, pass, pass. You got to be able to cover the pass if you're a backer now. And, and he's listed as a safety by us at 24-7. But in looking at his frame, man, I think Javante McClendon absolutely can play a linebacker. And uh, he's a 22 who moves around pretty well and is an aggressive hitter on his film, but can cover as well as he showed in seven on. Running down a couple more here. Eddie Kelly, tight end. He's, again, the guy out of Orlando. And uh, I got to say, pretty good frame on, on Eddie Kelly. USF just offered. Purdue just offered. 6'5", like, 210, maybe 215. I've seen I've seen him listed as 250 in some places. I, I I think that's a I think that's a misprint. Like maybe somebody said 215 and, and just somebody misheard it as 250. You know, he made a couple impressive catches. He he used his body to kind of body out some dudes. And Florida State's certainly looking for at least one tight end in this class, if not two, given what we think of their current roster 
of tight ends, although I do like Jackson West quite a bit. I've seen him listed as a wide receiver some places. Is that just a kid that you project as a tight end? No, no. Yeah, he's a tight end for sure. I've been doing this long enough. Sometimes you have to acknowledge, hey, it's possible. He could be a receiver. He could be a tight end. I I don't really think there's any doubt with him that that he'll be a, a, a tight end. Maybe a flex tight end. Guys who are already like 210, 6'5-ish, and they have that, that wide frame entering their senior seasons, the, those guys end up a tight end. Personally, like I, I just, it's very rare, you know, for, for them not to. And he doesn't have that Kelvin Benjamin thing going where, you know, you could see him sticking at receiver. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about these twins, buds. When, uh, <laughs> I'm kind of surprised we don't see more of this. I mean, I don't know. That's probably a stupid thing of me to say. But anyway, it sounds like there's some talented uh, twins out of Sanford, Florida. And uh, what, defensive back prospects? Yeah, so Jakari and Damari, right, are uh, are, are two pretty nice-looking DB prospects. Uh, I think Jakari uh, is is the better of the two, at least from from what I observed in 7-on and, and then the, the, the limited stuff I was able to pull up online. Now, these guys are... are I guess the term is like native basketball players or, or originally basketball players who I don't know if they've never played football or haven't played that much, but clearly like their first sport was hoops. And now they're transitioning hard to football. They told me they're focused on football. They don't feel like they get the respect that they deserve in terms of their recruiting rankings for basketball. My guess is because their height, because they're both like six foot, not six, four, six, five. Uh, but they, they've played on some loaded teams that have won. Uh, big-time tournaments, including, according to uh, Jakari, uh, the Peach Jam Tournament, which is uh, up by you, I believe, and is a, a major AAU. Yeah, that's a pretty big pretty big AAU, pretty big facet of the circuit, yeah. Yeah, that, that would be like winning winning like, like IMG Nationals or the Adidas 7-on-7 seven seven Nationals in 7-on. Uh, in As you can tell, like very good athletes. Now, their 7-on team played a bunch of sort of matchup zone coverage, and they played it terribly. Like they didn't pass off guys, they had guys running wide open all, all the time. And, uh, but they did play some man, thank God, after a while, because I really felt like I was wasting my time watching them on defense some, because they were just, you know, they weren't really throwing at these two. And, uh, I wasn't really getting much out of it. But, uh, w- when they got to play some man, I, I got to see him flip their hips. I definitely liked what I saw out, out of Jakari. I, I think he might be a Florida State level guy. Now, FSU's offered both these dudes. Uh, the the upside is there, and it is intriguing. Now they they need significant development, and both these kids are are real thin. I mean, six foot one fifty, right? Like one five zero is what they're listed at. So, as you can tell, they have that that extreme basketball build right now. But ultimately, I, I think these are guys that FSU will continue to monitor and, and continue to recruit and and see you know see how they do over the summer. Uh, I, I might see them again. This weekend, depending on on uh, what goes down seven on here in Orlando, but yeah, the the, the twins are are certainly targets of the Knowles there. Uh, three more kids, if if we got a little time. I, I hope this is not getting too boring for folks. Uh, Marcus Peterson is a receiver slash tight end out of uh, Lake City, Columbia. Obviously, Coach Brian Allen, Fort, big time Florida State alum, and Florida State took uh, took Shaim Brown in this, this recent recruiting class out of Lake City, Columbia. So Peterson uh, is a productive kind of flex pass catching target. I think he, I think he's listed 6'4", probably about right, I would say, maybe maybe 6'3", uh, but 6'3", you know, 6'4", six, six, versatile, versatile guy. Uh, I, I want to pull up his huddle to see, see how well he blocks, but ultimately caught the ball pretty well. Can move around some, and and definitely has the look of of a power five guy, and perhaps an upper you know upper half power five player. Now, there's one dude there that I was really really intrigued by. Kind of who the hell is this kid? Googled him, really got nothing. Didn't have a twenty four seven profile. Guy's name is Wyatt Sullivan, right now he is at Robert F Monroe Day School in Quincy, Florida, which is you know just up the road in Tallahassee. This guy looks like a million bucks. He's like, he told me he's 6'5". I think he's like 6'4", 201, receiver, arms down to his knees, caught the ball with his hands, extended away from his body well. Body control was there. Nice, nice long speed. Fairly quick in and out of his brakes for a guy that that, that was that tall. 
not super polished, chatted them up. I was like, Hey, you know, what, what's your name? And I saw you caught like multiple touchdowns in that game. Like that was pretty impressive. He said, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Wyatt Sullivan. I was like, you know, what, what school do you go to? And he, he told me, and I was, just, I was, you know, you try to ask questions to figure out like, okay, why have I not heard of you? Cause that's my job to hear about these guys. And he basically said that he was a basketball player who started playing football last year, but got hurt. And so he really only had one game that he wasn't hurt so he could play. And there was a couple clips of him on his huddle from that one game. And then to make it long enough, he also put some practice clips on there of, of him running some routes. So then I'm really intrigued, right? Because this guy who has very little football experience, seemingly, uh, is out there killing it at, at seven on for the, for the tight action team. FAMU's offered, and I know he's got a couple other schools now following him. This is just kind of one of the things you got to trust me on because I, there's not really any huddle for you to go watch. You know, I, I know the rest of our, um, the rest of our, our listeners, some of them are, are, are probably you know, recruiting junkies and huddle junkies are, are going to go watch, watch the guys that I just suggested they watch. There's really nothing to watch here, but I'm, I'm damn sure going to be watching Sullivan the rest of the summer to see, see how he emerges. And I, I want to see how he plays in pads. I know a lot of schools are going to be on him wait, waiting for those huddle, huddle tapes to come out every, every, every Saturday, you know, following his game, uh, games on Friday night this fall. But that, that was intriguing. You don't generally see guys that look like that. Um, have I sent you the photo? So, you know me, you, you know, like I'm 6'2 flat, which is really nice because like a lot of these kids claim they're 6'2. And since we actually know I am, I'll go stand next to these kids sometimes and have the other recruiting analyst kind of make the comparison. Yeah, that's a prospect. Definitely. You see what I'm talking about? I mean, unless that was a total fluke of a performance, he's going to be pretty damn good. Well, whether it be the, the Wilson kid in 23 or, or we'll see how much this, uh, the Sullivan prospect emerges, but, uh, I think we have a fairly realistic idea as to how Florida State should perform kind of in the panhandle and locally and realize some of the challenges that are there, but, uh, would, would be good to see Florida State be. <clears throat> a little bit more competitive in its own backyard. And I'm not necessarily, you know, critical of some of the prospects that have gotten away, but it uh, would be better to see Florida State reassert themselves. And if Sullivan continues to emerge, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't get much closer than Quincy. So uh, something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. For sure. You know, also, um, I would say, oh, one other kid, Macari Vickers, tw- 2023 defensive back. If the name Vickers sounds familiar, it should. He is actually the cousin of 2014 Florida State signee running back Jonathan Vickers, who played, what, 14 to, I believe, 17, and uh, was not a great player, but, but, you know, a fine player. I think he had some injuries at times. I think John, I, I think Macari Vickers is going to be better than his cousin. So certainly a guy worth watching, local prospect. All right, bud. Uh, I think that's everybody that you were fortunate enough to, or not everybody that you were able to see, but everybody that you saw that has some kind of, kind of Florida State tie or level of interest. And in. great to be able to, <laughs> great to be able to have you back out there and be able to see things like you know pictures of you interviewing prospects and have some kind of uh, method of verifying some of these physical stats and features. So. Um, you want to move to listener questions at this point or where do you want to kind of take it from here? Yeah, uh, uh, definitely listener questions. I, I guess one more name if I can. <laughs> I know we keep doing this, uh, but Jerron Willis also is, is, is a guy that I would watch out for. I know Florida State is very high on him as a linebacker. We, we have him at 24-7, I believe. I, I assume he's a four-star. I, I think he's a very nice prospect. He can run, he can cover, he can hit, and he already has, you know, college ready size, uh, but is not, is not too big. Certainly something, uh, something to look out for there in, uh, Jerome, or Jerome Willis. And he is, uh, he's teammates with Florida State safety, Jamie Robinson, who just transferred in, or former teammates rather, uh, with Jamie Robinson, who transferred in from South Carolina. So certainly it may be an in there for the Knowles with Willis. But yeah, let's do go ahead and get to those listener questions. First, though, uh, did you check the email? I believe yesterday or, or two days ago, I saw one come in from Shannon and the legendary home loan team. Guys, I think we're creeping up on 130, 130 home loans to our listeners, including refis, obviously. 
from the legendary team. That's Shannon and Chad, 844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN. Find out why. To me, it's pretty obvious. It's the rates. It's the customer service. It's the knowledge of the industry. And when you call, when you call Shannon up, little 844 FSU loan, get a little Knowles chat in there. Optimism for the upcoming season, appreciating the climb, embracing the growth cycle here. Give a shout, 844 FSU loan. Now's a great time to do so. All right. First uh, listener question comes uh, predominantly from Patreon tonight. Again, uh, Noelcast, excuse me, patreon.com backslash Noelcast. Uh, if you are so inclined to support the show, uh, Marat, Marat has become a little bit of a uh, Twitter celebrity with his pushing for the uh, the booster program. I've enjoyed seeing some of your charts there and uh, kind of <laughs> it's interesting to see the, uh, you know, like push goals and things that uh, he's put out there as far as an idea as to the booster growth. Marat writes, I'm going to sound like an old man here, but in quote unquote my days, Football coaches came to school, and if they were successful, they stayed put. They did not try to move to other schools or the NFL immediately. Uh, Bowden, Paterno, and Holtz come to mind. Now, I know you'll pick holes in this narrative saying that Bowden considered going to Alabama and LSU and his youth, et cetera, but stay with me on this. Will we ever see the times when coaches say 20-plus years from the program? If no, why not? Thank you for all that you do, and please remind your listeners to become Patreon members for Nolcast and also to donate to the Seminole Boosters. If each roughly cost five seventy five a month. Most can afford to pay that. So, thank you for your support, Brad. First of all, we do see guys stay stay coaches for twenty years still, right? How long has Kirk Ferentz been at Iowa? Got to be coming up on, on twenty years. Ninety nine to present. He, this year was was his twenty you know, twenty second year. Look, the whole game's going to change with NIL, and that that will be a definitive mark in time. Um, but you do still see people. I mean, Dabo, obviously some of it was an assistant coach, but Dabo has kept himself in the upstate of South Carolina for quite a long time. Um, there are examples of it, like you pointed out with friends at Iowa. I do think obviously the coaching cycle has accelerated the, the pressure that are being put under ADs for success. Everybody thinks uh, that they have a, I don't know if entitlement is, is the right uh, word to choose, but you know, every every school has this window of time that they look back to, and that kind of becomes their expectation, whether it's the late 90s for Tennessee or kind of a brief window of time for uh, South Carolina that they had. Once programs kind of get a mild taste of this, that kind of becomes the uh, level of expectation and, and the want. And you see teams chase that, and part of that chase is probably a much more accelerated coaching cycle. I'm trying to think about this. There's a couple things I want to say here. I, I really like this question because it allows me to kind of rant on a couple different points and not rant, maybe just kind of roll with it. Number one, you brought up name, image, likeness, and that is going to be a game changer. However, when I see some of my, my fellow national columnists writing about how much of a problem this is going to be and how these coaches hate it and how they're going to be a mass exodus for coaches to the NFL, I think they are 100% full of it. The, the the coaches saying that there's going to be mass exodus to the NFL for this reason. Most of y'all are good enough to coach in the NFL, right? A lot of y'all have these jobs because you're good at recruiting. That's still going to be a skill that's valuable in college and not in the NFL. It's not like the NFL is going to all of a sudden create a lot more jobs out of thin air. They're not going to expand coaching staffs and say, okay, we're going to have another coordinator on both sides of the ball. There's not going to be four or five new NFL expansion franchises. So this idea that all these coaches are going to start leaving the Juju name image likeness, I really think we need to apply a critical eye to this, man, and say, I think you'll have some coaches who who will complain about this and moan about this. But I don't think that they're actually going to have options to do anything about it. Unless I'm missing something. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're, I think you're right that there is to an extent a narrative that has become out there and it's good for us to poke holes in it. I, I do think that if you are successful at a school that perhaps it will accelerate you leaving. Perhaps, you know, you will, you will think, well, you know, there's not a whole lot more <laughs> amateurism out there and that I'd like to try my hand at the NFL. I could see that happening to an extent, but you're right. There are only so many. Uh, places out there. And yes, NFL teams do have 
you know, wider staffs than just the wide receiver coach, defensive line coach, et cetera. But, um, you know, those, those positions, when you start to get to the second and third level of staffs, as a friend, as somebody who has a friend who's occupied or employed in one of them, you don't make any more money doing that than you would be in an analyst for Alabama. I mean, there's not a big gap there. So uh, you're right. I think maybe I would say that maybe there's a little bit of a quicker jump to the actual head coaching positions of programs. Uh, but I, I don't see the opening uh, there for necessarily this max mass exodus that is being talked about from the college ranks. Another thing I'm thinking about here is I don't want to use the word like cancel culture, but I do think that there are things that in the past that almost all these coaches that, that Murat mentioned or that you mentioned probably got swept under the rug or that maybe got a column in a newspaper written up, but it didn't, you know, catch fire on social media and make the national news and make every single different one of ESPN's talk shows. And certainly some of those topics, like the Paterno stuff, 100% deserve to be on there and probably should have been on there more and earlier. But I think there are stuff that all these guys probably did that would have got them fired or you know, in hot enough water where they were thinking about an exit in today's game. And because of cell phones, and camera phones and the advent of social media stuff just doesn't seem to say to stay secret anymore as much as it used to. And people text more now things that they normally would have, have just said in person or they would have called somebody on the phone. Now they text it and that, that creates a digital record. So I think that the chance you get tripped up by doing something that 20, 30 years ago would, would have slid. And maybe you'd only mean it in a malicious way. I think that that chance has increased personally. And every single little thing you do is magnified in the social media era. You got, you got to be really, really, uh, you got to be really careful about stuff. So I think that's a reason why, why you see guys not last. And the pressure cooker, I, I do think is greater than ever simply because the money has increased so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a great point uh, to, to point out as far as things just, don't nothing goes unnoticed and perhaps better said nothing goes uncaptured in some extent or the other. Uh, I also think that with social media and things like that, you know, there, there are elements of fan bases that are, you know, critical of you from almost the first second you shake the AD's hand and take the job. And if you're, you know, the type of person, some of these coaches don't pay attention to anything. Some of these coaches have, you know, all but satellites put outside their office to try to, look at everything that's said about them. Uh, and I do think there's a broader kind of forum out there for people to, if they want to be uh, disen, you know, disenfranchised by a fan base or, or uh, not infatuated with such, can kind of accelerate the moving process as well. So, uh, yeah, it's just kind of where we are. Now, nonetheless, you know, you do see some guys stick uh, for an awful long time and see 20 or th- I almost said 30 years. That's exceptionally rare, but two decades with a program, yeah, I mean, it'll be fascinating. It'll be fascinating to look back in 2035 and see uh, even who has uh, 10 plus years. You know, I do, I do agree with Marat's uh, general, uh, you know, general theme that people are going to leave and perhaps going to leave earlier uh, moving forward. Have you seen any shirts Matso has, by the way? Which ones exactly? The uh, still single drinking doubles. <laughs> pretty good, pretty good Valentine's Day. Show. No, I haven't seen that. That's great. Now he mentioned that the that there may be a Marvin Jones Hall of Fame uh, shirt coming in the future as well. So we'll have to make sure that we actually get Marvin in there, or perhaps it's a shirt pointing out that perhaps the greatest college linebacker of the last forty years isn't in the College Football Hall of Fame. I'm not sure, but uh, always a fan of the shirts and merchandise that Madso puts out there, and uh, yeah, we we look forward to see what ultimately this Marvin Jones shirt is. MadisonSocial.com backslash Nolcast for your gear and uh, always support the, always appreciate the support uh, that you, our listenership, has given to Matt and his team. And uh, Tallahassee Wine Mixer is coming up around the corner, by the way. Unlimited wine sampling and unlimited unlimited charcuterie. Oh, those are two two things I can sign off on, certainly. I might have to go. Like my, 
my wife's going out of town for for a week doing a little uh, little girls trip uh with her uh with some some of her relatives and uh I'm, that that could be fun march 13th check them out make sure to follow matt so on twitter that's of course at madison social just an awesome brand and, and you know an, an awesome restaurant that really gets for state and, and connects with the fans and I, i'm you know, I'm I'm so happy that that they're they're still chugging. You know, what what wasn't easy this year, obviously, but that's awesome, man. This this has been a very difficult time, uh, obviously during the pandemic for for a whole lot of restaurants out there. And congrats to Matt and his team for for persevering. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and take Tim's question. Tim writes, uh, "Thanks for the great show, fellas. Indiana-based Noel fan here. Uh, I made my first trip to Tallahassee in 2019 for the Syracuse game, last win of the Taggart era." Based off your recommendations, made sure I stopped at Matt's on Friday night and had a great time soaking up the atmosphere. I may have missed this in a previous episode, but with APR being on a two-year hiatus, what impact will the flurry of roster moves have on FSU standing when, parentheses, if it returns? Thanks. Uh, so this is a really good question. Just to fill the listenership in, if you, if you are not familiar, and obviously some of y'all are, but some of y'all are probably new. APR is the academic progress rate. It's a really stupidly designed formula by the NCAA that kind of tries to measure athletes' progress as they go matriculate from year to year. You lose points if guys transfer out and they don't finish their degree at other schools. You lose points if, if guys flunk out or you know a lot of different things. And Florida State was largely because kids just were not going to class at all uh, in the last two years of the Jimbo era, they were really tanking in APR for a while and were like dead last in the nation, I think, for, for a couple of years. And this did hamper the prior staff's ability to just frankly cut dead weight off this roster and cut bad culture problems. Uh, I think it was less of a hindrance on Norvell because they were you know, more years removed from it and one of the good things Willie did was that most of his kids actually went to class. So that, that helped, <laughs> helped, helped, uh, it, you know, it is college football. You do actually have to go to class or at least, you know, show up and, and pass classes. Now, as far as the APR being suspended, which it has been for the next two years because of the, uh, the pandemic, the people I talk to that who work in compliance and governance, they tend to think that the APR is not going to come back in the same way. So I don't really believe that we will have a situation where, okay, if issue is a ton of kids leaving, which they do, and then they get somehow punished because all those kids left. I, I think that they will have an APR. I think they're just going to wipe the slate clean and start forward looking with a new formula, most likely. that That's kind of, when I talk to people, that that's what they think. Um, if you work in college athletics and you're listening to the show, and you have a different take, or if you've heard something different, please do hit us up, nolcast at gmail.com. That's nolcast at gmail.com. That's also a great place to uh, you know, drop us a line if, if you have something for us that's a little either too long or too sensitive for uh, for our Twitter account, which is also at nolcast. Which, by the way, did you see uh, Did you see the, the South Carolina-Maryland uh, move? Uh, no, I did not. So uh, South Carolina hired, what's his name? I... I I actually still had alerts for this name on Twitter. So when, when this came up, I, uh, it, it, it popped for me. Oh, uh, Taylor Edwards, the, the, the director of recruiting operations for Maryland. Uh, he has actually been hired by Shane Beamer at South Carolina. He's putting together a pretty good, pretty good class. I mean, uh, you know, it's simple to say right now that South Carolina is going to, be too big of a thorn in Clemson's side, but anything that they can do to be a more competitive program is, is probably nothing but good for Florida State. And whether it be the the guy that we just mentioned with the Polk County ties or some of the other uh, people he's put on his staff, I've been uh, I've been fairly impressed with what he's done so far. That was a uh, if you recall, Florida State got its basically its top choice or very close to it at pretty much all of its spots, but the recruiting uh, like director of personnel. Uh, was a spot where they they did not. They went through, I think, th- at least three and maybe four uh, candidates who who either turned them down or they were unable to reach an agreement with uh, before they ended up where they ended up. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was interesting. I still ha- I still had the Twitter alert for that name and it popped up uh, earlier today. 
or maybe yesterday. I got to remember when that was. You want to go to, uh, you want to go to Adam? Okay. So Adam writes, uh, watching Florida State basketball this weekend brought up a question about the basketball one and done rule for eligibility versus football's three year requirement before being eligible to go pro. Is the source of these rules the NCAA or the respective pro league? Is there any justification for the disparity of treatment of the athletes in the two sports? The opportunity cost for football players is massive. Thanks for the great show. Thanks for your question, Adam. All right. So, uh, Adam, actually, I, I did some research before the show because I try to read all the questions and you know make sure there's anything I have to research. So this is actually a, a joint rule uh, between the NFL and the NFL Players Association. Nobody's eligible for the draft until they've been out of high school for three years. Uh, this is not an NCAA rule. Uh, it is a NFL rule. This rule was actually challenged in court in 2004. I don't know how old Adam is, uh, but if you recall, there was a guy who played really well in a Fiesta Bowl against Miami. This is the game that Willis McGahee uh, tragically blew his knee out, and a uh, kid named Maurice Claret was a true freshman for the Buckeyes, and he wanted to turn pro after just one year, and he sued the NFL, and ultimately, he lost. Uh, and it never never really got, got back up. So the rule, as far as I know, has mostly been unchallenged since. I think there was a receiver for Mike Williams, or excuse me, for USC named Mike Williams. Do you recall him? Like big, tall guy. I don't think he was crazy fast. He, he was all, almost like their Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, I believe he challenged it too at one point. Now, the justifications for this are basically that uh, players' bodies physically are not ready for the NFL, blah, 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 until they're a certain amount of maturity out of high school, which we know is BS in for, for like the best of the best. I, I have no doubt in my mind that Leonard Fournette at 18 could have played in the NFL. I saw Leonard at 18. I've seen Leonard since he's been in the pros. I really don't think he looks that much different. In fact, I think he was probably faster or you know kind of twitchier back when, when, when he was 18. Um, you know, for the most part, most players are not ready for the NFL. Why does the NFL want this rule? Uh, two reasons. Number one, unions eat their young. And uh, if, if they can keep money going to the veterans who are already in the union, it's like players who are not in the union are not represented by the union. So the union has very little incentive to have a big influx of talent come in and take away jobs from members who are already in the, already in the unions. The union is not going to vote for this. Uh, the NFL, meanwhile, wants like readily market, marketable stars, basically. Uh, so it, it, Trevor Lawrence coming out of high school is not a star like Trevor Lawrence coming out of Clemson is because he's played three years, right? Readily marketable stars and no cost in doing so. Yes. No minor leagues. Kind of a brilliant model. Yep. It's super profitable because like baseball has to pay for its minor leagues. They actually pay for its talent development. Now, they underpay them, but they, they're paid. NHL, kind of the same thing. NBA has the D-League now. The NFL doesn't have anything, as far as I know. N- nothing, nothing significant. So that's, the, that's, that's basically the, the way that it is. Uh, the opportunity for college for, for players is massive, as, as Adam says. And he thanks us for the great show. Uh, now, the NBA... Is different because the NBA. I don't, I don't even know how the how did the NBA come about its one year rule. Do you, do you recall? Because like, like for a while you could just go pro straight out of high school, which I think was a better rule. Uh, you could go pro. I don't remember the exact uh, elements of it, and I would, you know, if I I would go and I want to feel like that started maybe around 2010 somewhere in that area. You know, it used to be that. Like I remember when Kevin Garnett declared straight out of college or straight out of high school, it was a pretty big deal. Um, and then it got to the point where there were so many kids declaring and a lot of the kids were actually ended up, well, not a lot, but a decent percent were ended up going undrafted and then kind of, you know, having to go play in the former Czech Republic or something like that, you know? I mean, so that's a tough situation to send an 18 year old over to central Europe and good luck. kid. Um, so yeah, I think that's been the case for roughly a decade. It certainly has had an interesting you know, an interesting impact on the sport and has changed it considerably. But yeah, I mean, baseball's always been the one where, 
you know, it's kind of, I don't know if socially acceptable or whatever, but there's, there's certainly some broader issues of, of uh, <laughs> things that aren't necessarily fit for a college football podcast uh, tied to that. But, you know, baseball's the place where, oh, the, the farm boy who, you know, maybe wouldn't be doing much else in life if he couldn't hit a curveball, you know, goes off to start trying to apply his trade as a 17 or 18 year old. I don't know if you guys caught this. Ingram, who is one of the absolute best geography people I know, just 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 said the former Czech Republic, which I think you meant to say. If, well, I meant to say the former former uh, Yugoslavia. The, uh, gotcha. Okay, I was like, man, I I I never bust Ingram on geography stuff, and and I feel like I feel like we got him there. <laughs> I don't know. That's more kind of uh, of political there necessarily than geography, but yeah. Yeah, no the the old the old Yugoslavia uh, was such a hotbed of basketball back in the day. But uh, another podcast for another time. They had a whole wave of talent there for a brief period of time. Would probably be the only the only country that could have made a legitimate claim to have given the United States a run. Back to our uh, the football content of the Nolcast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no nah, man, but just you know. I, Measuring Florida State's success and being appreciative of it is honestly a little bit of a challenge for this podcast because neither of us are college basketball experts. I probably watch more than I necessarily let on. And, you know, seeing what Florida State's done this year and and the absolute thumping that they put on Clemson uh, recently, just, you know, been great to see. A program that I don't want to say went through a little rough spot, but just had some questions of it and finding their own kind of identity uh, very much appears to have done so. And, you know, as this season progresses, maybe we'll look for outside help to give our listeners a, a better understanding as to what's going on with basketball. And, you know, we'll always be a football-focused podcast and probably football 90% of the time. But uh, with what this program's doing, we probably need to do a better job of appreciating, uh, appreciating and kind of documenting uh, where the basketball program is right now. So not tied to Adam's question, just uh, – Thought I'd throw that out there. So before we switch over to uh, to our final question of the evening, I will thank our good friends at Congruity. Congruity has been nothing but a fantastic addition uh, to the Nolcast and kind of the business side of our operation. They can help you <laughs> in much probably broader ways, uh, whether it be with uh, HR support or uh, tax support, payroll. Uh, they just provide options for a lot of the elements of the everyday features of a running business that simply allow you to do it uh, in a more profitable and efficient manner. Uh, Matt Lewis has been a great resource for us. Uh, sounds as though he and Madison Social are off to a good start with their relationship, and we would encourage anybody uh, who is curious as to what congruity can bring to your business to reach out to Matt. He can be reached at 844-247-4100 or Knowles at congruityhr.com. All right, so Jack asks, uh, as much as I trust your methodical breakdowns of the minutia of the Florida State program, I also trust y'all's gut feelings on things. Given Norvell's first year in the program, have your opinions changed of him at all since he got here? think we got a good one. You want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Yeah, just firing from the gut. I'll give you my, uh, yeah, I'm still fairly confident where Florida State is uh, from a, a coaching and leadership perspective. Now, even if Norvell is not a a uh, home run hire that we look at in 10 years. And I, like I said, I ultimately think he will be successful. Um, what Norvell does well is what this program absolutely needs. Uh, you know, they need somebody that is meticulously organized, fairly competent at running the broader aspects of a college football program. And that is what you have as a head coach right now. Uh, you know, I understand some fans, Frustrations. I also think there's an element of the fan base that just loves to be, you know, kind of contradictory and the first to say that, oh, I knew this guy was going to fail, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but as a whole, I am uh, still pretty bullish on Norville. There's some things that hopefully progress in year two, and there's uh, some recruiting things that I would like to see um, improved upon to the extent of which he can control them. Uh, but on the whole, if you're asking me to just give you you know, my shoot from the hip opinion, I uh, am still pretty bullish about the head coach at Florida State. I know guys that work for, for Coach Norvell, and uh, even off the record, they're very confident in what they're doing. And they, they really believe in him. They, they love his energy, and, and they, they, they're they like all in. And at the same time, 
uh, I'm not blind to the the major issues that the pandemic has hit you with. I definitely think that if Florida State could go back and do it again with the benefit of hindsight, they would have kept Willie for another year and then you know gone through this later. And I completely understand why they did it, and I don't at all disagree with them doing it. You know, obviously because they don't have the benefit of hindsight; they didn't know the pandemic was going to come. Uh, but I do think there's an element of you need to be able to to strike it hot in recruiting and have that sort of new coach smell work for you. And once that wears off, you need to start, start to be able to sell your, your, your product. That's tougher to do in the early signing period era. That's really tough to do if the majority of high school coaches in this state and players in this state either haven't met you or don't know who you are. You know, haven't met you in person at least. So I'm interested to see how course, you know, course, good gosh, how coach Norvell and company, how they overcome this. Um, I think for the most part, He's made good hires. I think you obviously, you guys can obviously think which hires I, I don't think are very good. You know, if you listen to the show at least. And, you know, I, I, I think, I think the guy's probably a pretty damn good coach. I think tactically he's excellent. Like as far as on game day, I think he has made decisions that maximize your chance to win repeatedly. And they might also maximize your chance of getting blown out, but he's trying to steal a win. In some of these games, and you know, he got one against North Carolina that, that can absolutely be used in recruiting, given how how they finished. I think he's very good organizationally. The issue is going to be, you know, can, can you sell the program? Can you can you overcome some of this ridiculous scheduling? That, by the way, we said at the time, you know, was was going like fun games, but not games that, that help you get to the playoff. They're, these are games that hurt you as far as getting to the playoff. The playoff does not do the eye test. They rank teams by, for the most part, the number of losses that they have. And then they rank them within tiers based on how many losses you have. And, and the way FSU's scheduling right now, it's just very difficult to see them, you know, having a year where, where they have a, a one or a zero in the loss column um, anytime soon. So it's a schedule as though you're a top 15 program in the country and you're expecting the playoffs to go to eight, eight slots. And you can absorb a loss or two. That's kind of the way that this was scheduled, and and very much at the same time reflective of an athletic program uh, that has a hard time passing up a check. That's it's going to be a challenge. And you're right; we were voice concerns tied to uh, tied to what the on field results would be as soon as they were announced. Have my opinion uh, has my opinion of him changed in some ways for the better, to be honest, uh, based on how he's handled some stuff with his staff internally and how he interacts with them and, and how he keeps them motivated. Uh, obviously he had the missteps early on dealing with some of his players and, 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 and the miss, you know, the misspeaking, which is quite frankly, what most of the country knows him for, you know, like that happened during a very quiet time this summer, as far as sports news. And, and that, that kind of dominated for, you know, for at least one day. And I think if you ask like the average college football fan, that's kind of what, like what they know is going on in Tallahassee or what they think they know. Well, they know him and they know him from his, his picture at UCA. Those are the two things that Mike Norvell is known for. Exactly. But I, I, I do think he's doing well overall. Um, this recruiting class is going to be key. If you gave the coaches the, the, the truth serum, do they realize the difficulty of the schedule coming up? I, I think they probably do. And are they going to fit their recruiting strategy to match what they're probably going to do on the field. And by that, I mean this, right? So Travis Hunter, there's no doubt. Like, like that guy's a stud. He loves Florida State. You, you, you recruit the heck out of him. Are we sure that kid's real, bud? Are we sure he's not a generation or a process, like that he somehow was created in a uh, NCAA football dynasty that I was playing about 10 years ago or so? I mean, the, the idea that you have one of the 10 most kids, talented kids in the country just constantly waving the banner and carrying the flag for your program right now with where you've been over the last three years almost seems like, you know, this is a product of some kind of favorable Florida state simulation or something like that. I I agree with you. The idea that that guy's as aggressive as he is on social media for Florida state is unbelievable to me. And I uh, uh, love it every time I see it and hope that nothing ever changes. So I want to say this carefully. 
I think you need to try to recruit for a top 10 class. I think you could probably get commitments from kids this summer who will eventually land on top five classes, but I don't think your class will be one of those top five classes. And my worry is that, okay, you actually get some traction with guys this summer. You build up some summer hype, much like Tennessee and Pruitt did this summer based on not much. You get all these commits. Some of these kids are actually really good. Then you have the season that you're probably going to have. Even if you're much improved, you're still going to have a season that is, is not going to you know have you sniff the playoff or the, or the conference title game. And then you lose those kids to decommit season. And then instead of being able to get sort of your, your B-level players, which would represent a large increase in talent, especially for some spots on the roster, you have to dip down to your C-level guys. So I really think this staff needs to ask itself, hey, is there a reason that we think this kid would stay committed to us if we take him? If we go six and six, if we go seven and five, if we go five and seven. And for a couple of these kids, if they, if you say no, I think you still recruit them because the talent's that, that high. And you have to, you know, you have to obviously account for some ceiling. What, what, what if you exceed your projection? You know, what if you go seven and five? What if you go eight and four? Right. Then you're in a bowl game. Maybe win that bowl game. Right. Like that's, that's encouraging stuff. Although for the most part, bowls are, are after the early signing period now. But I, I do think you need to be realistic in your projections of what you're going to do and who you can sign. And you need to be consistent with, with the message that this is not a quick flip. This is a, a longer-term rebuild, and it's one that you have a real chance to do and, and, and kind of get a bit of a jump start on this year with certain players. And maybe if you get those certain players, maybe if you get a Marvin Jones Jr. or uh, you know you hold on to Hunter and, and Maybe you hold on to, you know, Nigel Lee Kelly, those guys who I think are really, really special players. Maybe that, maybe those guys are, are your Lamarcus Joyner or your Jeff Luck and, and they, they convince guys to come with them who otherwise maybe wouldn't come. They're going to have to thread this needle on recruiting this year. This is a vitally important year for, for the long term. If you're going to sign an elite class ever with Mike Norvell as your head coach, it will be this year. You know, I mean, that this is your opportunity. This is your window in my opinion. Uh, and you've got some great legacy kids in next year's class too. But uh, I do think that if you're going to have a class that you can really point to, you're going to have to capitalize on a, a kid out of Dillard that you got committed early. That's a three-star or that's a, you know, three-star prospect and actually probably one of the 150 to 200 better football players in the country. Uh, you're going to have to keep this, you know, greatest of gifts that you could ever receive from a recruiting standpoint, Hunter, and then, you know, build the class from there. And uh, I think you bring up a great point about having an honest assessment as to the retention and what would be necessary. Uh, I do think that you can have a real honest conversation with a lot of these kids and, and kind of prepare them for uh, the season ahead. And, and at the same time, pump the idea of playing time and starting early and also acknowledge that, other programs are going to be in their ear and aggressively recruiting them. And, you know, what comes in the falls sometimes uh, easier to prepare a kid for in preparation. And then when it actually, you know, comes about is a, a little bit of a tougher fight uh, to win in the recruiting world. But if Mike Norvell is going to be a success at Florida State, I think this has to be a very good class. And it will be interesting to see whether or not they can take advantages of uh, some of the unique opportunities that they have here. For sure. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you on that. Go ahead, get Lamont Green Jr. to maybe reclassify, turn into a 22 kid somehow. That'd be great too. But uh, yeah, just getting a, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Into it. All right. Uh, I think that's it for tonight. You got anything else? That's it for me. Thank you as always to our uh, uh, listeners and sponsors and Patreon members and everybody else that makes the Snowcast uh, as possible as it has been for the last decade. If you have the opportunity to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It is greatly appreciated or a five-star review on any other platform that you happen to run across us on. But uh, for myself and Bud, we will uh, be back here in the near future and uh, enjoy this as always. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank you.